Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. As we close out 2023 and look ahead to the new year starting tomorrow, we want to focus on children and families and their well-being. Kids in Distress has been doing that since the nonprofit formed in 1976, and it has come a huge way since then with growth, especially in just the last five years. So to tell us about it, tell us how you can help, including participating in the Kid Hero 5K coming up in January, where you and your kids get to dress like a superhero. I am so happy to welcome Kids in Distress President CEO Mark Doogie. Welcome. Alan, thank you so much for having us once again on your station. We are just so, so grateful. I love talking to you. The work that you do is phenomenal in South Florida. You changed the name of your website to kidinc.org, but you're still called Kids in Distress, or is there going to be an evolution to the name as well? You know, that's actually a very, very good question. We rebranded probably about 10 years ago um, to Kid Inc. I do think that our roots will always be kids in distress because that's who we are known. You know, in the community, our brand is so very strong. And so I think we will always use kids in distress. But the reality is that even though we started 45 years ago as an organization that was working with kids who were in distress through our shelter program, we've evolved so significantly to working with families, um, not only families that are in crisis, but, but actually families who just may need a helping hand to overcome a challenge or overcome a crisis that they might be experiencing. So it's not only kids that we're working with, but really working with families to ensure that their kids don't end up in foster care or in a tumultuous situation. Yeah, try prevention is really key. Very much so. Very uh, much so. So for people who are not familiar with the organization, 1976, it began and it was really a shelter for abused children. And the stories we would hear were just horrific about the condition that children would come to kids in distress in. When was the switch made from being just a shelter for abused children to expanding into this family strengthening as prevention and then introducing foster care and education to the programming? Well, you know, Ellen, right around the, I use the turn of the century, right? Right around the year 2000, <laughs> right. Uh, two, two very significant things happened. The first was the privatization of foster care or what we call child welfare in the state of Florida. And what that means is that there is a lead agency in every single county who really designs with all their partners the system of care that responds to kids that come into foster care. So very early on, we were one of the original organizations that partnered with ChildNet to begin to recruit, license, support, train. Um, and when I said support, I mean very, 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 very much support foster parents. And so we were one of the original organizations that went out there to recruit families, especially those families who would take younger children between the ages of birth and 12. Because our shelter was always, it was originated to address children who came into foster care at a very, very young age. 
Um, our KITES program, Kid Infant Toddler Emergency Shelter, um, was designed to take babies in who were either substance exposed or born HIV positive or had medical conditions um, who could not be placed in a medical foster home. And then we, of course, had a shelter for children between the ages of 3 and 12 who just couldn't, there just wasn't a foster program out there for them or a foster home for them. And so during the 2000s, we started to license and train homes. And believe it or not, we put ourselves out of business um, in our shelter program. <laughs> Why? Because, you know, and a, and a lot of people question that. You know, we used to bring donors into our shelter and they'd see all these little babies and they go, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to give to this organization because there's 60 babies in this shelter. But the reality is that a shelter or a residential program is not good for young children. You know, we had wonderful, wonderful staff in our shelter, um, but it's not good for a child to go to bed reading a bedtime story with one staff member and then wake up the next morning, especially a child birth to three when brain development and relationship development is so critically important. And one of our core values is family, as a matter of fact, and we truly believe that kids belong with families, not in a residential program, not in a group home, again, especially young children, that they belong with a loving family who is going to treat that child like their own. And one of the biggest outcomes that we sought after when we recruited foster homes is that if a family took a child into their home, they would keep that child until permanency occurs. The goal of foster care is always reunification. Um, about 50% of kids go back to their birth families. Um, but permanency also might include placement with a relative, a grandma or a grandfather or grandparents. Um, it might also be adoption. That's a permanency option. But our goal was to recruit families who would keep children until that permanency occurred. And by doing that, we actually increased the number of foster homes and put our shelter out of business which is a good thing in the scope, especially for young kids. Yeah, I, you know, so many nonprofits I talk to, we always end with, we wish you didn't have to do this work. We wish that it was resolved. And to actually hear someone say that is an incredible success story. And simply by changing your focus, you have been able to do that. What was it that determined, okay, now is the time, you know, turn of the century. Now we have to change the focus and we can do better for the kids. Well, the, you know, there are two things that happened. I'll get to the second in a, in a minute. But I think what really happened is when I came to KID and, you know, with our colleagues, kids came into foster care and we would see children go through multiple failed foster placements, which means that they might go through 13, 14 foster homes before they reach permanency. And that's terrible for kids. It's almost worse than the abuse, abandonment or neglect that they may have suffered at the hands of their own parents. You know, it's just not good for kids to go through all of these different foster homes. So that was probably one of the primary issues. But then the other issue, of course, was really looking at going upstream. You know, I, I heard um, a story once by the secretary of the Department of Children and Families, who I, I like very much. And, you know, one of the stories she tells, and it's very consistent with our mission, is that, you know, picture myself and our colleagues in the 1990s. You know, that we would see kids, you know, we were standing in a riverbank and we would see children floating down the river and we would jump into the river and we would grab those kids and take them to the bank and we'd grab the next one. You know, unfortunately, there's only so many resources and some kids would float on by. And I know that's a terrible visual, but you can't save all of them. You try to save as many of those children as you can, right? But what we had the opportunity to do, and again, thank our board of directors for really changing the trajectory of our mission, is that we, our colleagues and the family of kids in distress, we started to go upstream. We went up to the bridge and we said, why are these kids falling in the river? Do their families need support? Is there maternal health programs that can address these issues? We're going to try to prevent these kids from ever falling in that river and treating the root cause, what's going on with their families, and what has actually happened over the last 
15 years. And again, not just kids in distress, but a very engaged community, along with our lead agency, ChildNet, is that we went ahead and said, let's go upstream. And it decreased the number of foster kids from nearly 4,000 kids to about 1,200 that there are today. And that's because we are intervening with families and we're working with families and we're championing families when they're at risk, Um, sometimes prenatally and at birth. We, you know, we're working with at-risk moms to make sure that they attach to their babies, make sure there's a relationship there, creating an atmosphere, an environment where abuse is never going to happen. And that's that upstream approach. It's really trying to look at the root cause and prevent those kids from ever coming into care in the first place. Now, when kids used to come to you, it was a referral from Department of Children and Families, right? Yes. So how are you now finding these new parents who need assistance with raising children and the families that need family work together and family strengthening? Are they also by referral or is there a different way that they come to you? That's a great question. You know, families can actually self-refer to us. If they're you know, having a hard time, they are looking for counseling, they are looking for parental support, they can self-refer, but referrals to us actually come from a plethora of different areas. Um, the Department of Children and Families still is in charge of child abuse investigations, so sometimes child protective investigators refer families to us. Sometimes school social workers you know, see that a family or a child is having some challenges or some difficulties. They refer to us, victim advocates and police departments. Um, they refer to our programs. One of the biggest referrals, we're part of the network of Healthy Families and Healthy Start, both of which are partnership and collaborative initiatives. And those are families who we're working with prenatally and at birth. And those referrals actually come from a universal screen that is done in all OBGYN offices or birthing centers forwarded to the Department of Health. And then the Department of Health says, oh, my gosh, this mom doesn't have a support system. She might need some assistance. And so then that referral would come over to us. We have family support workers that actually attend the birth of their client's new baby because they are the only support system that that mom has. Wow. You know, I used to ask for success stories thinking it would be, okay, kids came to the shelter and after a while they were reunited with family and things worked out okay. But now hearing that you're preventing them ever getting to that point by stepping in while a mom is pregnant and teaching her and other family members how to take care of an infant. Um, Mm -hmm. That's an unbelievable success story. So when you're starting with a newborn, with a new parent, where do you begin? I mean, are you covering the entire gamut of parenting? Um, Again, a great question. Yes, um, two maternal health programs, both Healthy Families and Healthy Start. Healthy Families is a little bit more long-term. It's a one- to four-year program. Um, Healthy Start is more intense where there's curriculum-based materials that are shared with a mom. Um, prenatally, again, at birth, we actually you know, work on, we might be prenatally, and we're working on childbirth classes with the mom. But then when that mom has the baby, we actually have a full curriculum of parenting. You know, no child is born with an instruction manual, right? right? I think when I, I mean, when I had my son you know, 27 years ago, even me, who had been in the child welfare you know, world for many years, I still wasn't exactly sure what to do. Everybody needs a little assistance, a little support, and most importantly, an instruction manual. So our curriculum actually um, looks at appropriate developmental milestones, you know, so that a child reaches those developmental milestones and it can be tracked. 
but also so a mom and a dad has expectations that are reasonable. You know, sometimes if there's a young mom, they might think that their baby should be turning over or their baby should be talking or walking or being given solid food much earlier than what that baby should be. So there's a lot of material that is focused on developmental milestones. We actually use a, um, an assessment called an ages and stages questionnaire that tracks those developmental milestones and ensures that the baby is reaching them. But then there's also uh, various other curriculums that are used. We have moms that might have used tobacco or alcohol prenatally. They didn't have prenatal support, so we actually have programs and curriculums that address that. We have a breastfeeding curriculum. You know, it's always important for a new baby to be breastfed. So that's something that we concentrate on. But again, one of the most significant things that we address is creating natural support systems for families. You know, how important it is for them to be connected to their community as opposed to professional services so that they have help when they need it, you know, from friends, families, and colleagues. And how do you engage other members of the community to be part of this? Like when you've got a neighborhood, and there are some neighborhoods, they're having block parties, everybody knows everyone. There are other neighborhoods where people don't know the names of their neighbors. So are you able to encourage that kind of development in a community? We do. I think we're a very collaborative organization. As a matter of fact, we have, we have all of our core values that are centered around family and trust and compassion, those kind of things. I like to say that our sixth core value is collaboration because without those players in the community that might not have a professional network, you know, they're not a professional mental health agency, but it's a church or it's a civic organization. It might be a women's club. It might be a neighborhood association that if families can engage with those neighborhood support systems, you know, things are going to be much better off, especially as their kids get older. As a matter of fact, we do have on our Family Central side, we have a class that's called PLTI, our Parent Leadership Training Institute. And that takes ordinary families, ordinary parents in the community and provides a 23-week curriculum for them to really get to know the support systems, how to work with the schools, how to work with local government. Again, because if parents can be connected locally to all of those I want to say services, but they're not really services. They're really, you know, support systems. Um, they will be encouraged to advocate for their child in ways that they might not have ever thought of. That's brilliant. I, I just love what I'm hearing. And if someone is also hearing this, and maybe they're a part of an organization that's in a local community, and they would think, wow, we could be supporting these parents and these families, how do they reach you? Is it best to go on the website or call if they want to get some training and help bring their community and their neighborhood together to support each other? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ellen. Um, you know, folks can always go to our website, www.kidinc.org, and you'll see all of our programs. You know, there's a way to get a hold, kind of a general mailbox. Um, but that being said, you know, contacting me directly is also an option. You know, our main number here at Kids in Distress Family Central is 954-390-7654. You get to the receptionist and they would forward a call over to me and I would be more than pleased to work with any community organization because, you know, working with families, you can't do it alone. You know, families have all kinds of different issues, and although we're pretty good at, I'd like to say we're the best, you know, at providing parental support and family preservation services and relative caregiver services, there's things that we don't do. We don't work with kids who are aging out of foster care. Um, we don't do the economic development, you know, type of activities. We actually partner with the Urban League and with Hispanic Unity, the Center for Working Families, to look at career advancement for families and economic type of services. 
we partner closely with women in distress, but, you know, but if there's any even grassroots organizations that want to become part of our network, every month um, we have an all-staff meeting on Zoom, and many times we highlight those neighborhood associations and organizations so that our entire team of nearly 400 team members know about those entities so that they can refer their families to them. Okay, so if you are part of an organization and you want to be part of a solution in your neighborhood, kidinc.org, or call the president and CEO himself of Kids in Distress, Mark Doogie, 954-390-7654. Now, I know that there are people who are interested in foster parenting and also that you can't just give any kid to any person. There are requirements and training that's necessary. So absolutely, let's talk about the foster care program and how someone can participate. Absolutely, Ellen. Well, you know, again, on our website, there, there's actually a button that has said, I'm interested in becoming a foster parent. Um, you know, I'm out in the community asking for money, asking for resources all the time. But the reality is, is that, you know, if I get one more foster parent, if I get two more foster parents, that's the best resource that you could give to our organization. Why? Because that's one less child that's going to be without a home in our community. Whether that's a young child or a teenager, we're constantly recruiting for foster parents. And we have a pretty high bar. You know, being a foster parent 20 years ago and and being screened for a foster parent is much different than it is now. We only, you know, really recruit and support the best of the best. We have an eight-week training curriculum that foster parents have to go through first before becoming a foster parent. And then, believe you me, we go back very, very deep into a family's history to do background checks um, to ensure, you know, that they are going to be a safe place for a child. And the most important aspect of all of it is that you have to be willing to take that child into your home and treat that child like he or she is your own, you know, for a period of time until they have permanency, until they are reunified, they're adopted, or they're placed with a relative. And one of the most interesting questions we always get, and I usually divert it from foster parents, is that, well, you know, what kind of resources do I get as a foster parent? Um, The reality is you get about 15 to $20 a day to be a foster parent. Um, However, we never license a foster parent unless they have the financial means to be able to take care of that child without that board payment. Because we all know that $15 a day barely is enough to feed a child, let alone do all the other things that are required of a, you know, a 10-year-old that is now living in your home. Well, not only that, but there used to be stories about people who would take in a dozen foster kids just for the money. And this was before. This is going back a ways. Yeah. But these were horror stories that we would hear. And part of the reason, I believe, that kids would be moved so often because the care was not good. There were people who were in it just for the money, so they didn't have to work. But what, you're 100% correct. Right. But what you're saying now is you're, because of your attention to backgrounding and vetting the potential foster cares, you're making sure that it's not going to be an in and out, you know, one kid sharing a room with six others, you know, in bunk beds or cots. Um, they'll be like, a, they'll be a family member, a real family member. That is 100% correct. We will, we will never license a home. Uh, matter of fact, we very customarily will not place, even if a, a family has a much larger home, we're not going to place more than two kids in that home until they are very experienced and very vetted. Um, because it's unfair to the kids that come into their home. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, that's just not okay. Um, so we only, and we very much pride ourselves as well, that we only license 
the best of the best. And if at any time a foster parent demonstrates that their actions are contrary, you know, to what is the best practice for a foster parent or for a child in their home, we usually close them pretty quickly. Wow. Um, You know, we don't keep those foster parents in our system. Okay. And if someone wants to become a foster parent, I know you have FAQ nights as an introduction to foster care. Uh, How can someone find out about that? Um, again, the best way is to, uh, I gave my information already, and if anybody wants to be a foster parent, they can reach out to me directly. Please know that. But the best way is really to go onto our website. There's an area on there that says, I'm interested in becoming a foster parent. Um, if you fill that form out, it goes right to our foster care department. They call you and contact you, you know, within a day, and we let them know when the next fact session is so that they can attend it and learn about what it means to be a foster parent. What's cool about our fact sessions is that we usually have three to five existing foster parents that are there on that Zoom call to answer questions directly. So even though most of our staff in our foster care program are foster parents or adoptive parents themselves, it's good for prospective families to actually hear from those families that are currently fostering themselves um, to gain a really good perspective of what it's all about. What are some of the best things that foster parents say that they experience in bringing a foster into their home? You know, that's a great question because many folks come to us because they want to eventually adopt, you know, but the reality is that once a family starts to foster and once they see a child, you know, that they're helping come into their home and that child, you know, bonds to them and creates a relationship with them, the fact that those foster parents see that they are giving back and they are really contributing to the success of that child, oftentimes making generational change within that child's family. You know, it's not just that they're raising that child. They're now setting that child up and that child's children, you know, someday to really be set up for success. And I think that that meaningful thought of creating generational change is just such a significant, um, sometimes overwhelming, you know, for our foster parents when they really see the impact they're having on, on the life of an individual. Yeah. And also, as part of your program, there's a tremendous focus on education for children, in addition to for the families and the parents. So, you know, you've got preschool, there's kid preschool plus, free VPK, aftercare, summer camp, uh, winter break, spring break, mini camps. Uh, What do they do? How do they get there? Yeah, that's another great question. We concentrated on two of our pillars, foster care and family support. Our third pillar is early childhood education. So we are firm, firm believers in the fact that what happens in a child's life from birth to five oftentimes will be the determinant factor in that child's ability to succeed in the future. And so what we've done is we actually have a very enriching preschool on our main campus here in Fort Lauderdale. Um, A lot of those kids come from referrals from our maternal health programs. Um, from our foster care programs, of course. Um, Some of our our kids that do live as sibling groups on our campus attend that preschool or our aftercare program. But the reality is, is that we also, this this program, as a matter of fact, is so generously funded by the Children's Services Council of Broward County. They fund this program for those kids that are very far behind their same-age peers in our local Title I schools to be able to come to our campus and really get two and a half to three hours of additional instruction every single day. So our preschool and our aftercare program are also open to the community. You know, there's some requirements. You know, you have to be at or close to the poverty level. We have many subsidized kids that are in that program, so that's kind of a requirement. But then one of the other things that we have within our programming is we have an in-home program that acts like a preschool. It's called our hippie program. 
Um, it stands for Home Instruction for Parents of Preschool Youngsters. Um, one of my favorite programs because it establishes a child's parent as their first teacher. Uh, and really, it. It, it, yeah, it yeah. equips pa- parents to become engaged with their child's education prior to the kids even going into kindergarten. Um, and we provide that program in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties, and it's really one of our most successful programs here at the organization. That is so great because there's been a period of time where you know, originally, okay, learning starts in the home, and then it started shifting to parents saying, no, it's up to the teachers to take care of everything. Right. And the teachers are saying, but it has to translate to home, too. So you are enabling that and making things easier for both parents and teachers by teaching them how to teach their children, which is a lifelong impact and a positive impact. It, it can't be anything but good. Yeah, and can't be replicated. It really, you know, be, being your child's first teacher is one thing that is not only our family is very proud of that, but the fact that now they're able to engage the education system right at the onset of the, their children going into kindergarten is such a big deal. Yeah. So I know your other pillar is mental and physical health. And we don't really have time to go into a full explanation of that. What I'd like to do is invite people to come to the Kid Hero 5K on January 27th, where they can, number one, enjoy some physical health with the 5K. And that always translates to mental health. But also they can talk to your people at Vista View Park and learn about the Family Counseling Center and support that you have for adoptive parents and your kid dental clinic, which was a big game changer when you first first open that. So, you know, even though you have funding from uh, Children's Services Council and United Way, there are so many people you're impacting and so many people who are out there working on your behalf. You still need more funding. And the Kid Hero 5K is one of your biggest fundraisers of the year and the first of the year and the most fun. Let's hear about it. If our Kid Hero 5K is on January 27th this year. It's presented by UKG and hosted by our auxiliary. Um, it's going to be at Vista View Park, and you're 100% right. We usually get about six to 700 people that come out. Um, why is it the Hero 5K? Because you're truly being a hero for our children. And a lot of people come dressed up, Ellen, which is really cool. You know, Superman costumes, Wonder Woman costumes. You know, I'd like to say Aquaman costumes, although nobody, that's my favorite hero, but uh, superhero, but nobody usually comes with Aquaman. Maybe I'll do that this year. Um, but the reality is it's, it's really a time for the community, you know, to come out, be a hero for our kids, to rally around it. Because, Ellen, you're 100% right, is that about 70% of our funding comes from the government, but the government pays for adequacy. You know what I mean? We believe in excellence. Yes. And so we have to raise about $3.5 million to raise the bar for the children and families that we serve. And we do that through private funding and through partners that, you know, that want to get involved in our mission. And that's not the only way, of course. You know, paying a $35 registration fee to run certainly is wonderful when we have 800 people. But it's more important for folks to know about us, to refer families and foster families to us, as well as to volunteer with us. So it's really kind of a cool time on that event for folks to rally around our mission and and, and support a child, you know, support a child for the day. So come on out on January 27th. I'll be there. We'll have all of our information about all of our programs so people can learn about what we do and our impact. And we'll, 
you know, we'll walk for our kids. And I will be there with you. I'm debating on whether to come out as Super Cat. <laughs> I know, preparation for the walk for the animals the following week with the Humane Society of Broward yep. County. You know, I, I can't have the animals speak to me or uh, maybe Supergirl, maybe the Flash this year. Who knows? I'll figure something out between now and then. But it really is. It's such a fun day. And really a great family day. So you bring your kids. The The walk is for them, too. They come out yep. in their costumes. And it's like, you know, why wait for Halloween to get dressed up? You can do it in the daylight and nobody's going to say anything. And do you still have the Davy police come out? They have their Batman and Wonder Woman. <laughs> We do. They've, they've been out, you know, the last couple of years. I hope they come out again. And um, and we, 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 we do. We just have a whole lot of people that come out in costume. And um, and it's just a fun. It's a fun. It's a really fun morning. And, and, you know, by the time noon rolls around, you have the rest of the Saturday to yourself. So, you know, we even have a kids run at the end. It's just a blast. Okay. And I believe the website for that is KidHero5K.org. Yes. Yep. Okay. And that's put together. www.kidhero5k.org. And that's organized by your kids auxiliary. Yep. We have about 250 women out west, you know, in West End and the Davie area who support our organization through a volunteer. I should give a shout out to them because you're not going to believe this statistic, Ellen. Our kid auxiliary and their kids actually put together 1,300 Thanksgiving baskets and over $25,000 in $20 public gift cards to provide to our families during Thanksgiving. Um, But they host this event. They are a wonderful group of kids and a wonderful group of women. And those are the kind of things that they do to resource the families we serve. And again, come out and join us. You can meet with them as well if you want to become involved. And I'm sure you do not have to live in West Broward to participate and to support Kid Inc. You work with the Tri-County area, correct? Yes, we do. Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. As a matter of fact, our new Miami-Dade office um, in Miami Shores will come online the end of January. That's right. It's been under construction. Congratulations. We'll have to talk again and get pictures going on that. For sure. All right. I can't wait. I will see you in just a few weeks, January 27th for the Kid Hero 5K. If anything you've heard this morning has touched you and motivated you to look at the new year and say, yeah, I can help. I can volunteer. I can foster. I can adopt and I can teach any of those things, or I can make a donation. You still have until midnight tonight to do your tax-free deductible donations. (laughs) It's all there at kidinc.org. And anytime you have questions, you can ask directly for the president and CEO, Mark Doogie. It is so wonderful to talk to you. And I'm already ready for the new year now that we've had this uplifting conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. You guys are so awesome at Cox Media. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-S-1-E, at cmg.com. You can also leave comments on our open mic feature on our app that you can download from the iTunes or App Store. We'd love to know what you think. And please join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus. Have a great day. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes 
Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 